Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline, and I looked up years down the road to see how God had used this habit to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. And so over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through His Word and through His presence. Through this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with your Bible. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm truly so incredibly grateful that you're here. And when I say I'm truly grateful that you're here, I mean that. I'm so grateful that you are choosing to listen to this. I pray that it helps you develop or strengthen the habit of Bible reading and prayer and deepen your walk and your relationship with Jesus. Today, I am going to share just a few simple thoughts on making your Bible your own. I have a little bit of a lengthy unedited entry that I'm going to share today on the topic of acceptance. I feel very strongly that it's what I'm supposed to share today. But let's just talk for a few minutes about making your Bible your own. I love, love, love my Bible. I am currently in the third Bible that I've read in since I started reading my Bible at 23 years old. And I am one of those people that likes to have one Bible and I like to take it with me everywhere. And just as a reminder, the entire point of Bible reading and prayer is to first and foremost find salvation, find out how to be right with God, find out how to be saved from our sins. But after we're saved, the purpose of Bible reading and prayer is to get to know Jesus and to establish a relationship with Him. And that relationship is limitless. We can be as close to Him as we want to be. And your Bible is pretty much as close to Jesus as you are going to get in this life. On this side of heaven, it is the written Word of God that's been compiled and preserved that is going to be your absolute closest link to Jesus Himself. And if you don't have a Bible that you can fall in love with, if you have a Bible but you're like, I really don't like this Bible, buy a Bible that you can fall in love with. And I'm talking about the size, the layout, the feel of it, the leather, that sort of thing. Obviously, it's all the Word of God, even if you bought it at the Dollar Tree. But I do believe in having a Bible that you absolutely love. And along those lines, my first tip for making your Bible your own is take your Bible with you everywhere. There's so many times that I want to just look something up in Scripture, or maybe I just want to read a few verses, read a little chapter, and I love to have my Bible with me everywhere I go. If I'm at work, it's usually behind my desk. If I'm at coffee, it's probably in my purse. I just really love having my Bible with me every, every, everywhere. And falling in love with your Bible is going to be a whole lot easier if it's always with you. And just a few other tips for making your Bible your own. As you underline, or as you read, I mean, underline phrases and verses that just jump off the page at you, things that minister to you. This is not a requirement, and I 
do understand that this cuts against the grain of some people's theology or convictions. They don't believe in, in writing in your Bible. And so I apologize. I do not want to offend anybody. But for me, highlighting and underlining and writing things in my Bible has become a huge part of it becoming my best friend. I love to write little thoughts that God gives me as I read. I sometimes just have, it's just like two, three, four words, maybe a little sentence or maybe something that I read in a commentary as I'm reading a passage that will really minister to me. And I love to write those little thoughts next to the verse where I had them. And this truly helps you bond to the word of God. It is also going to help you remember all the beautiful things that God shows you as you spend time on the pages of his word. And when you circle back, you're going to have these moments where you're like, oh my word, I remember where God just opened up the windows of heaven and showed me X, Y, or Z as I was reading. Or I just had this beautiful encounter with him. And so underline, write phrases, and also highlight. I haven't always been a huge highlighter, but recently, actually probably just the last month or so, I found some highlighters on Amazon that I love. The brand is called Aloha, A-L-O-A, wait, A-L-O-H-A, and then S-T-E-R. They're very light. The colors are very subtle, and they don't bleed through the pages. They're absolutely beautiful, and I've really just loved, you know, on pages where I've maybe read it several times already, there's a lot of writing, there's a lot of underlining, and just having a different way Um, of highlighting something that God might show me has just been fun and special. So underline, write little thoughts, highlight, and write extra special quotes on those blank pages in the front of your Bible. I have quotes that I don't want them to get lost in a journal somewhere that maybe I won't look at for four or five or six years or maybe never. Um, Just special quotes that are extra special. I can see them more frequently if they're in those blank pages in the front of my Bible. And then lastly, I would say, save little treasures in your Bible. My Bible is almost a little bit like a museum. I have Valentine's cards from years ago that have little temporary tattoos in them. I have a Dove chocolate wrapper that somebody gave me that has a funny little saying on it. I have Polaroid pictures, regular print pictures, um, ticket stubs, just random things that have been special. And it, it is part of it being my Bible. And so again, I just think it's a fun place. Sometimes I have bookmarks from missionaries that are a little reminder to pray when I run across that page. And in addition to little treasures, my Bible is full of tears. My pastor said, man, I don't even know what sermon it was, but he said, my tears have talked to my Bible. And that is certainly the case in my life. My tears have talked to my Bible and it has caught many. And my Bible has heard a lot of brutally honest prayers. And those pages are so precious to me. And like I said earlier, your Bible is pretty much as close to Jesus as you are going to get in this life. And so honor your Bible, make it your best friend, make it your own. Find a Bible that you can just absolutely fall in love with. And again, it's how you're going to get to know Jesus. There's a quote from Charles Spurgeon that someone recently shared with me, and it says this. It says, but we have seen enough of him to know him. We shall know him because he will be so much like the Bible Jesus that we shall recognize him at once. When we see Jesus, when we get to heaven, we're going to know him because we got to know him on the pages of his word. Today, I'm going to share, not a little unedited entry, this is actually quite long and I do apologize for that, 
but I have felt strongly to share it. It's on the topic of acceptance, which is a powerful concept. And this concept has really helped me tremendously. And so I won't elaborate too much, but without further ado at this time, I will read In Acceptance Lieth Peace. Acceptance. This word has been in my heart, mind, and thoughts since Thursday afternoon. I felt God impress it on my heart ever so gently as he does. And as often happens in my mind, other quotes and verses and thoughts started joining that word over the last few days, forming a sort of acceptance soup in my brain. One quote came immediately to mind from Amy Carmichael, In acceptance lieth peace. All weekend, different related thoughts have surfaced and circled through my mind. Thoughts about disappointment, reality, and the often quoted prayer, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. I thought of Mary saying, be it unto me according to thy word, and all the things Elizabeth Elliot has shared about joyfully accepting our portion. Again, acceptance soup. Then, last night, driving home, pulling into the church parking lot, God brought the story of Leah to mind, and I knew I had to write about it. By the way, I read that wrong. I don't live at church, but I just wanted to mention it. I went to bed so excited to wake up and read it and write about it. And wow, God has so ministered to me through Genesis 29 the kind of knock-your-socks-off, soak-your-soul-in-comfort ministry. Okay, that's backstory. Now for the real story, acceptance. Leah, her story is so often overshadowed by the limelight her sister Rachel receives. Rachel is the love of Jacob's life. Their moment of meeting is full of chemistry and romance. Jacob, Abraham's grandson, has gone on a journey to find a wife And in a fortunate turn of events, he happens upon a well, asks the men who are there if they happen to know his uncle Laban, and they said, we know him. Jacob asks if his uncle is well, and they respond, he is well, and it just so happens that Rachel's daughter is coming here with her father's sheep. The conversation carries on about the fine details of sheep watering, and while they're still talking, Rachel arrives on the scene. Cue the romantic music. Jacob went near, rolled the stone off the well, and watered Rachel's sheep. But he didn't stop there. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Talk about love at first sight. Jacob had gone on the search for a wife, and he had found one. Sparklers, butterflies, fireworks, heart eyeballs, all in that moment, instant attraction, instant emotion, instant desire. Few couples can tell that sort of chance encounter introduction meeting. This is far beyond Jacob's wildest dreams. Jacob reveals who he is to Rachel, and Rachel takes him home to meet the family. His uncle Laban has a similar response to Jacob. He ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Laban declares him to be his bone and his flesh, and Jacob lived with Laban for a month. Then Laban asks a question, why are you serving me for nothing? How can I pay you? And this is our first introduction to Leah. And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. 
Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. CSB says Leah had tender eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. I've never found a commentary yet where anyone exactly knows what the description of Leah means, but it is clearly not flattering due to the comparison to Rachel's beauty. Not only is Rachel beautiful, but just before Jacob responds to Laban's question, the text of scripture emphatically declares, and Jacob loved Rachel. Rachel is desired, longed for, and wanted to the point that Jacob responds to Laban by saying, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Rachel is desired and Leah is entirely overlooked. Laban agrees to the agreement and Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had for her. Finally, the time comes for Jacob and Rachel's wedding. Jacob asks for Rachel, Give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go in unto her. Jacob longs for Rachel and he is full of passionate desire toward her. Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Laban throws a wedding party, a beautiful reception, but then it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her, Jacob, that is. I doubt this was Leah's idea or preference. Who watches their sister's love story, fairy tale romance unfold before their eyes and wants to be the wrong girl on the night of the honeymoon? What female would choose to be thrown in as part of a package deal on their sister's marriage? What woman would choose to be one of the greatest disappointments of Jacob's life? We aren't shown that Leah is given an option. This is picked for her by her father. He took Leah, his daughter. My heart goes out to Leah, and it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Shock, surprise, anger, incredulousness, disbelief, Jacob is devastated and furious, and I would not want to be in Leah's shoes. She is unwanted, unloved, undesired, and she is the brunt of her father's schemes. Jacob is incredulous and returns to Laban the next day to figure out what in the world happened. Laban informs Jacob that it is a custom of their country that the firstborn must be married first. Okay, that would have been nice to know 24 hours ago, but Jacob has now unwittingly consummated an unwanted marriage and Leah is now an unwanted wife. Jacob, out of duty, goes on to fulfill Leah's week and then enters an arrangement to work another seven years for Rachel. And he went in also unto Rachel and he loved also Rachel more than Leah and served with him yet seven other years. The Bible makes no attempt to hide the difficult position Leah is in she can do nothing to change her looks. There was no plastic surgery in the days of the patriarchs. And she cannot change the fact that her sister is loved far beyond her. But God saw her pain. Verse 31 says, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Though she doesn't have the love of her husband, she still gets his attention. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Surely the Lord has looked upon my affliction. Now therefore, my husband will love me. Leah holds this baby boy hoping one thing. He will be the bond between her and Jacob. He will be the reason Jacob finally loves her. 
She is so motivated by the desire for a love she doesn't have that she names her son Reuben and says, because of this baby son, my husband will love me. But this is not the case, for in the next verse we read, and she conceived again and bare a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I was hated, and she called his name Simeon and has therefore given me this son also. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time my husband will be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Leah is still hopeful. She is still seeing her babies as a means of securing Jacob's affection. She thinks if he won't love me for me, he'll love me for what I can produce. And even after several disappointments, she still says this time, this time will be different. She still holds out hope that this third baby will be the key to Jacob's heart. If he won't love her for her, maybe he'll love her for what she gives. This time, he'll be joined to her. And she called his name Levi. The very next words, she conceived again. Being unwanted did not keep Leah from being fruitful. She had not picked the circumstances she was in, but she was still productive there. And it is with this fourth conception that we see a dramatic shift in Leah's mindset and motivation. Every child prior was a grasp for what she was missing. Each baby was birthed with hope of securing her husband's love, which had left her with a great void. But this baby was different. When they placed this fourth little bundle of boy in her arms, she no longer chose a name based on what she didn't have or what she hoped might happen. She simply said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Leah came to a place of acceptance and not just begrudging resignation, but a joyful realization that while she could not change her circumstances, she could still praise. She could worship in the middle of her unchangeables. Judah means praised, celebrated, objective praise. No longer was what Leah produced an opportunity to secure affection, but rather an opportunity to praise the one who gave it to her, to celebrate the one who had opened her womb and given her the ability to bring life into the world. She laid aside her agenda and chose to praise. She stopped trying to get and moved into a posture of give. In this response and declaration at the birth of her fourth son, now I will praise the Lord, we see that Leah's unchangeables had changed her. So often, that is what God does. He uses our unchangeables to change us. It is in the act of accepting what we cannot change that we are changed. The walls we keep bumping up against become a tool God uses to form and fashion us into his likeness. Our unchangeables are an opportunity not only to accept in resignation, but to offer true, real, sincere praise. Praise that is not based on what God has done, but based on an intentional decision to praise and celebrate who he is. Now I will praise the Lord. Now, here in this place, even if my unchangeables never change. The simple fact of the matter is that we all have two types of circumstances in our lives. One, things we can change. We are all born with a will to choose certain things. Our friends, our outlook, mindset, where and how we invest our time and energy, 
our attitudes, our place of employment, our willingness and effort to steward our health through exercise and diet and our finances through wise use, what we feed our souls, our response to circumstances, etc. These are all things we choose. In many regards, we simply need courage to change the things we can. But number two, things we cannot change. The past, losses we've endured, the inevitability of death and our own mortality, the family we're born into, abuse that was chosen by someone else, the sentences and consequences of past decisions, the choices of others, the responses of others, unanswered prayers, seasons and age and more. These are the places we need serenity to accept the things we cannot change. I want to be clear in writing this. This does not mean to remain in a presently abusive situation. When or if we face abuse, we should go do what we can to remove ourselves from those situations. Acceptance is not a lack of boundaries. Additionally, this does not mean I cannot change this sinful pattern in my life. No, the word of God stands final, even over things that can feel unchangeable. And his word promises that we no longer have to obey the lusts of our flesh. Patterns of sin, no matter how predisposed we feel to them, are not unchangeables. There is liberty and hope and freedom in Jesus. But with those caveats listed, there are true unchangeables in life. And this is where acceptance comes in. Acceptance, as previously mentioned, is not dismal resignation. It is, as Elizabeth Elliot has said, a glad surrender to the will and plan of God. It is Leah saying now, in these unchanged circumstances, I will praise the Lord. It is Paul glorying in infirmities, in an unchangeable thorn, and writing, Rejoice in the Lord always, while in unchangeable chains. It is Mary saying, Be it unto me according to thy word, when a long-expected promise was fulfilled in her tiny frame. It is Jesus and Stephen forgiving during crucifixion and persecution. It is David worshiping at the tragic news of his dead baby. He had not received the answers to his prayers, but he could still worship. It is Job in dust and ashes saying, Blessed be the name of the Lord, and Paul and Silas singing in the stocks, beaten at midnight. These are portraits and snapshots of acceptance. Acceptance worships and praises and gives thanks in spite of things it cannot change. It says, God, you are right. God, you are good. You give good gifts, and if this is what you've given, I accept it from your hand. Acceptance rejoices, even in the things that don't make sense from this angle of time. Acceptance echoes the words of Leah. Now I will praise the Lord. Leah named her baby Judah, and this name represented a massive switch in her attitude. Little did she know the power of her response to an unchangeable. She had no way of knowing that the Messiah, the promised seed of a woman, would come through the bloodline of this baby. Her acceptance produced the tribe of Judah, who led the Israelite army into battle with praise, and ultimately her acceptance became a beginning for the one who would be known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. God grant me the wisdom to truly recognize what I cannot change, and when the observation is clear, let me worship and rejoice and give thanks there. 
For it may just be the acceptance of what I cannot change that ushers the miraculous, the supernatural, and the unexpected into my life, and not just for me, but through me into the lives of others. Acceptance is powerful. As Amy Carmichael said, in acceptance lieth peace. There is a stillness and settledness that floods into our lives when we say, this is my reality, this is my season, I accept it. I forgive here, I worship here. I will hold God's unchanging hand while I'm changed by this unchangeable. I release everything into the hands of God. Now I will praise the Lord. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 73, 26. Wherever today finds you, I pray that this is just a little encouragement to you to put all of your unchangeables into God's hands. Surrender your questions to him, your uncertainties, the things that you cannot do anything about. So often we are crippled in the present because we are spending emotional energy on things of the past or on things that we cannot change. And this, again, is just a reminder to put all those things into God's hands. Use your energy to work on the things that you can change and ask God for serenity to accept those things and ask him for strength and courage and wisdom to change what you can. God will use your unchangeables to change you and my unchangeables to change me. Thank you again so much for joining me for this journey. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday. If you have questions or to download a typed or a handwritten transcript of today's entry, you can visit megunedited.com. For now, go grab your journal and your Bible. I so look forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is unedited. This is for you. Happy, happy, amazing, wonderful, fabulous, joy-filled Friday. Have a great rest of the day.